Coming up on the Men at the Movies podcast, we welcome you into the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Harry reveals a picture of humanity, suffering great trauma and unaware of the world he has been born into until Hagrid bursts through the door. Hagrid acts as Harry's true father figure, introducing him to the larger story and speaking truth over who he really is. But his true transformation and victory don't occur through effort, but because of the sacrifice of others. You're a wizard, Harry. Join us as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story. The story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello, and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name's Paul McDonald, and happy holidays. We're past Thanksgiving, entering Christmas. And so uh, I'm super excited to talk about Harry Potter with Jamie Joe Wright. How are you doing today, Jamie? I'm doing great. And it's, it's so appropriate that we're doing Harry Potter at Christmas because it's it's a classic Christmas movie. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're jumping ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is even hey, i'm just answering the question that's on everybody's mind like why aren't you talking about elf or or white christmas so you said that it's it's a holiday movie because I, I i brought this up this question to you as like it feels like a holiday movie yeah we but which holiday is it because it's played like i see it played a lot around halloween to me the like the opening feast reminds me of thanksgiving and then mm-hmm. There is that snowy, Christmassy, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of uh, hijinks happens during Christmas break. Mm-hmm. But so it is a good fitting as we right. as we go from right. from uh, Thanksgiving and enter into the full on Christmas season. Technically, the Christmas season now starts sometime in October. At least that's when I see the Christmas decorations up in Lowe's. That's what I've been told. I don't personally agree with that, but <laughs> I've been told that it starts in October. My, I've been daughter told that the Christmas lights are supposed to be up and all of that by Halloween, but I don't agree. You just do Nightmare Before Christmas. That way you get the best of both I worlds. I do. And that is a tradition <laughs> in our house. Jack Skellington has a special place in my heart. Um, far oh, far nice. more so than Santa Claus. It's probably why I don't get anything nice for Christmas. <laughs> just shrunken heads and spiders. Yes, yes. I I think it's a Christmas movie personally. There, Christmas gets more screen time in the first Harry Potter movie, and so therefore I yeah. hereby proclaim it forevermore a holiday tradition. Harry to Potter, watch. Harry Potter, and the Sorcerer's Stone. All all eight of them. You got to watch all eight every Christmas season. So Jamie, when I when I asked you what movie you'd like to do, uh, what mm-hmm. is it about Harry Potter that you sort of jumped on? Why did you pick this? Because it's Harry Potter. I mean, hello. Okay. I'm not a Potterhead. <laughs> I'm going to say that right out front because pot, I don't remember things very well, like names, places. And so, you know, my son is running around the house with his wand and he's yelling out 
spells and charms, and I can't remember any of them except Expelliarmus, which is probably not even how you pronounce it. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what that spell does. So it is to disarm your opponent. Oh, see, see, I'm going to Expelliarmus you by the time this is over. <laughs> She's already threatened to hang up I twice. I have. This has been a brutal call. <laughs> Harry Potter is just filled with all sorts of like of the epitome of great storytelling. The villains are insanely villainous. And yet you care about them. And the scenes are just, ah, they stick with you for years later. This movie was my introduction to Harry Potter. I quickly got the books. I read them. I just changed in the army. I'd moved from San Antonio to El Paso. So I had four days of hospital orientation, which was super boring. So I think each day I read one of the books during hospital orientation. Yeah, you know what else you're going to do. So <laughs> probably also explains my army career. Well, yeah, I could so, definitely lend toward. But at least I didn't read a book at the wedding. Shh, let's not tell my secrets. I was at a wedding. Fine. I'll admit it. And it was a family member's wedding. Not just a wedding. No, it was my sister-in-law's wedding. <laughs> and I did smuggle in a Harry Potter book and I did miss the majority of the wedding and the majority of the reception. I can, I can understand the, the wedding. That's hardcore to, to read it through the reception. Oh, I read it through the reception. That was the, uh, that was the best time to do it. I, I was the epitome of a wallflower and I got my cake and then I ate it too. It was the best, best wedding reception <laughs> I've ever been to. I was, I was also told that somebody died that night too in our family <laughs> Not kidding. Like, apparently halfway through the reception, we got word that a family member had passed away. I don't remember that either because I was reading Harry Potter. Which one was it? Just so we know which uh, which story was so engrossing that it took you out of life completely. I believe that this one that I was reading was The Order of the Phoenix. And that should say everything right there. I mean. Is that one your favorite? I don't know. We we have to differentiate between favorite book and favorite movie. Ooh, favorite my I think the fa- my favorite movie I think is Prisoner of Azkaban just because that's sort of the last one that has a happyish ending. I would agree. People start dying after. Yeah, that. I do like the Prisoner of Azkaban. I really like Sirius. Yeah, mm. but the books I honestly think it's Deathly Hallows for me. I love the fact that it comes to fruition. I also love the fact that it's so ridiculously long. It's like never ending. Mm. And that's like what you want in a book that you just don't want to end. With Deathly Hallows, I think the thing was, and this is where Rowling was such a great writer, is you knew that no character was off limits. Like this is Mm. the one book that the main character could potentially die and stay dead. Like, no other book could get away with killing off the main character. And you really weren't sure Harry Potter was going to survive. Like you literally, I mean, she'd already killed off like some pivotal people. As the series goes, like the deaths ratchet up. In four, Goblet of Fire, you have mm-hmm. Cedric dies. In five, Sirius dies. In six, Dumbledore right. dies. Right. And the one of the reasons I like the arc of the movies is it feels very much 
of a coming of age. The first one feels like a kid's movie. Yeah. And the movies grow up, the kids grow up, even the books, they deal with harsher stuff, questioning who your parents are and all right. this stuff. But when yeah. we first meet Harry, little young Harry, he's a kid who suffered great loss, but at the same time, as Professor McGonagall says in that very first scene, he's somebody that like everybody in the wizarding world will know his name. It's a w interesting little dynamic. Like in the movie, when he goes and rescues Neville's remember all, when he gets the, when he gets the snitch in his first Quidditch match, this idea, like people are cheering mm -hmm. for him in a way that's right. very unfamiliar. And you got people who resent mm -hmm. his celebrity, you know, Snape and Malfoy and all that. Right. Right. Harry lives his life at the spec at the ends of the spectrum. Because both are true that he's experienced right. and will experience traumatic loss. And it's also somebody who's mm -hmm. accomplished things that really he doesn't even know how. Right. Yeah, I think Harry is just he's he's a he's a picture of humanity, really. You know, like the whole spectrum of humanity from ultimate broken, abandoned, neglected, stuffed under a staircase, abused to full on celebrity to full on experiencing the hatred of some and the absolute adoration to the point of death and loyalty from others. I mean, he's, yes, you're right when you say he's on the spectrum of really all the highs of life experiences are thrown at Harry. Like, you know, I can look at some people and say, oh, they've, they've experienced some issues in their life, but I wouldn't say they've experienced the highs and the lows of the lows. Um, I mean, Harry has experienced peace. He's experienced war. He's experienced torture. He's experienced love. I mean, he really... J.K. Rowling was wicked to him. Let's just put it that way. And at the same time, she loved him completely because she spoiled him. So, yeah, you could say Dumbledore was the same way. He he, that towards the end of the series, yeah. that's what he says: "Is I cared for you too much to lay this burden mm -hmm. on you." Basically, mm -hmm. <gasps> uh, what what a quote too. But think of how that shapes his character. Yeah, like he's a he's a the boy who lived mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And known all within the world, he has riches beyond anything he can imagine. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if he goes in that and he becomes, basically he becomes a Malfoy. Right. Because he's spoiled. He, he, he's coddled. Everybody takes care of him. Everybody wants, mm -hmm. you know, when he's, mm -hmm. when he goes into the bar, everybody's going to buy him right. a drink. Right. But because he disappears, they all sort of put their own. What's the word? They fill in the blanks with their own imagination. Yeah. Either he's this superhero boy who never does anything mm -hmm. wrong, or he's an entitled little brat, or mm -hmm. he's sort of the enemy. You know, if you're the Malfoys or uh, you know any of the Death Eaters, you're you're the one who took down the king, so you're the enemy. And the fact of the matter is that uh, you know the boy who lived never asked for it, like. Not saying that he wanted, would have, would have asked to right. die, but my point is, you know, he never asked to be put in this position to begin with, and you really see that in the first movie where he's kind of this little kid that just 
has zero clue what's going on. Like he's so completely out of the loop as to his entire story. His entire backstory is a mystery to him. I mean, all he knows is Aunt Petunia, Uncle Vernon, and Dudley, who is his own piece of work. Dudley's like the human version of Voldemort. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Yeah, he's he's definitely a muggle Malfoy too, where he's got the, you know, later in the movies, he's got his kind of thug friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Dudley aside, you have Harry, who is just really naive to everything that has been and the world that is just outside of his vision at the beginning of the movie, which in a way I think parallels in kind of a weird way to us spiritually. I mean, think about it. So you have Harry, who at the beginning of the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, if we're going fully British, Harry Potter <laughs> um, is fully ignorant of who he is. And he's totally unaware of the life that has been forced upon him due to the choices of the people that lived before. And these generational curses just follow him everywhere he goes, which is such an example of spirituality and Christianity in our lives. And now I'll talk like a normal person. Harry is really starts out his story clueless to the backstory, which I think if you look at a lot of us before we come into a full realization of who God is in our life and our, um, our spiritual walk, we're kind of, I don't even want to say kind of, we're we're clueless to the backstory that has brought us to the point that we're at. And we're these bereft orphans living under the stairs thinking that this life is what we have because this is what we've been given and this is all we're going to get. And then we start seeing little revelations that maybe there's something beyond this world that we live in. And that's when the story of Harry in the Sorcerer's Stone really starts taking off when, you know, the letters start flying through the the mailbox and the door and, you know, weird things start happening and he starts hearing a snake speaking to him at the zoo and, oh, wait, 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 is there another world? Is there another part to life as I know it? And he starts on this journey to discover, you know, in, in Harry Potter, it's the wizarding world and the legacy that his parents have given him and, um, the people that are there to walk beside him on his journey into his full on purpose in life. Um, and I think that's kind of how it is with us as new Christians or new believers or people who are just exploring the the spiritual world and the world that is beyond the one that we're accustomed to. Um, suddenly there's a lot more out there than just the muggle world, you know? Even when he was talking to the snake and it said, you know, bread in captivity. He's like, yeah, same here. Me too. Yeah. But this idea, yeah. you know, what is his life up to that point? It's hand-me-down clothes. It's abuse. Mm-hmm. It's you're lucky to be here. Mm-hmm. We're so nice because we took you in when you were your parents died. And what you see, the the Dursleys and sort of the rest of the, the world almost is, like you were just saying, Jamie, the, the reaction to the supernatural. Is there disdain yeah. for the supernatural that's exhibited by the Dursleys of, mm-hmm. we don't want anything that looks freakish. Mm-hmm. Like the response of Opportunia right. towards her sister, which goes like even deeper in the book. It's amazing. 
to go into the the yeah. character of her. But then there's a certain delight, and that was created even in mm-hmm. in the the screenplay of how it was shot and all this, where the Muggle world is shot rather drab. And then when you go to the wizarding right. world, the supernatural world, it's all bright, colorful, lively, lots, mm-hmm. you know, loud music. Mm-hmm. There's abundance, you know, in the food. Right. And we get taught that what we have is what we see or what we see is right. all that we have. And we have to right. scrape for it. We have to fight for it. There's always going to be somebody bigger, stronger, getting more stuff than us. Mm-hmm. And we have to, to fight mm-hmm. for everything we have. But because we don't understand the larger story that we're we are actually born into, you know, in right. this case, you know, there is a battle between good and evil. You know, Voldemort's evil. We don't even say his name. Good is obviously Dumbledore right. and that side of things. Right. And like with mm-hmm. many of us, we need somebody to introduce us to it. We need somebody to say, "Hey, there's your yeah. your life kind of sucks, doesn't it?" You feel like, as C.S. Lewis <laughs> exactly. says that we frequently use, is if we find it, our desires are not met in the things of this world, we can only assume that we're made for something mm-hmm. else. So, Jamie, I'm going to play the clip when Hagrid enters the scene because they're running, as many people run when sort of confronted mm-hmm. with Jesus or the power of the gospel, the power of the supernatural, you know. Yeah, we spiritualize things. That's what we mm-hmm. do. But Hagrid shows up to say, yeah, they've been sort of telling you their version of life, but there's more to it than what you think. And then Jamie's going to tell us why Hagrid is her favorite character. Excuse me. Who are you? Rubius Hagrid, keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. Of course, you'll know all about Hogwarts. Sorry, no. No? Blimey, Harry, didn't you ever wonder where your mum and dad learned it all? Learned what? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? A wizard. And a thumping good and I'd wager, once you trade up a little. No, you've made a mistake. I mean, I can't be a, a, a wizard. I mean, I'm just Harry. I absolutely adore that scene. I don't know. I adore Hagrid. Hagrid is the epitome of, gosh, okay, how do I put this? When you have somebody who is willing to walk your journey with you and not have the answers, that's the epitome of a good, loyal friend and protector and cohort. Um, I love Hagrid. He is insanely loyal to, to, to um, Harry and he's insanely um, convicted in his belief system of the wizarding world and which side he's on. And he is passionate about what he loves and he's passionate about what he does. And when I equate that to the life that I live and, you know, people like Hagrid are so few and far between in our lives. Okay. Go with me here. Right. 
people like Hagrid, people want to be like Hagrid, right? They want to be the person that comes alongside you in your, your spiritual journey, or they want to be the person that comes alongside you in your walk of faith, or they just want to be the person that comes alongside you and is that loyal friend that literally will never leave and, and, and always is going to just be there if you need them. Um, and the fact is, those people are very few and far between. Like, lots of people masquerade as that, but very few people will stick with you to the end, right? Hagrid just is that. He is that person in Harry's life who Harry never has to question mm. what Hagrid's intentions are, okay? Um, he doesn't necessarily understand Hagrid. Hagrid's definitely weird, um, he has his own kitschy hangups that are just kind of like almost not relatable for some people. Hang like on, you. hang on, hang on. Um, I want you to, I want you to dive into that. What you, what you said earlier, he's the only person Harry doesn't need to question his intentions. Harry questions everybody's intentions, right? I mean, he's been raised that way for one thing in the muggle world. Intentions are probably not going to be good. Um, mm. he's been abandoned. So the longevity of relationships is inevitably going to cut short at some point. Um, and even his relationship with Dumbledore, he's always questioning where he stands with Dumbledore. Like, am I in trouble? Am I being judged? Um, I'm being held to some standard that Dumbledore knows things, but he's not telling me things. Dumbledore, I mean, there's times in the movies and the books where you don't even know that Dumbledore is good. Like there's times Dumbledore, you, you know, we only know he's good because we know the story. But if you're reading it for the first time and you've never been exposed to it, I remember there are times I'm like, is Dumbledore going to flip? Like, you know, and is Snape good? Is Snape bad? I mean, every professor there has issues. And everybody leaves you questioning, except for Hagrid. You know, you don't know if Ron's going to stick with Harry mm -hmm. for the whole thing, because Ron's kind of a <clears throat> flibberty gibbet. And then you have um, Hermione, <laughs> who's a know-it-all. But, she, you know, sometimes she seems almost too stuck up to stick with you forever. And there's times she seems like she's abandoning both Harry and Ron. Um, and so Harry's just got that in his life. I mean, every single person he comes into contact with, there's a question, except for Hagrid. There's no question with Hagrid. Hagrid's always there. Yeah. Hagrid's the transformational character. He is. He's the one that- The others yeah. are, you know, either, what are you, what are you trying to get out of me? Yeah. Sort of that thing of, are you friends with me because of who I am? Yeah. Because I'm famous? Right. Or are you friends just because I am? Right. You know, and and they do, Ron and, and Harry do have that problem later in the books mm -hmm. because- Ron is so tired of feeling less than he lives in Ron, Harry's right. shadow. Right. Right. But Hagrid, you don't ever worry about it. You don't ever question it. You don't question his heart for Harry, right? No. And Hagrid takes so much abuse and loss because of Harry, but he never blames Harry for it. Right. I mean, even Harry feels guilty for some of the things that happened with Hagrid and his creatures. And um, if, you know, if it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that, this wouldn't have happened to Hagrid. And Hagrid never says that. He expresses his grief or he expresses his hurt over loss, but he never flips it and points it back to Harry and says, well, you know what? Life would have been better if I'd never rescued you. Even his first thing when he shows up and he says, 
It's not every day your young man turns 11. Right. Yeah. Like that idea, like he still considers almost his, his, his ward, his, right. per, the, the person under his protection. See, and this is why I love Hagrid. Okay. And maybe it's because I was adopted. And so I really pick up on themes of abandonment and loyalty, but people look at, at um, Dumbledore as the father figure. And people look at um, Sirius Black as the godfather slash substitute father figure. But it's really Hagrid. He never, he never gets the credit for that, right? But a true father loves you regardless. A true father is willing to sacrifice everything they have for you regardless. A true father um, will never, ever be someone that you need to question whether they're going to stick with you, right? And the fact that Harry has to question that even with Dumbledore, to me, negates Dumbledore's privilege of being his father. And the fact that Harry has to question that with Sirius Black negates um, Sirius's position in Harry's life. And not saying that they weren't important and not saying that they're not strong men and they weren't critical in Harry's life. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if I were to pick a character in Harry Potter that represents to me a true father who's willing to get stern and reprimand, but does it in a way where Harry still doesn't question his position with Hagrid. Mm, That's Hagrid. Hagrid's the only one that comes down on Harry and corrects him. And Harry walks away and doesn't question whether he's still going to have Hagrid. When they, when again, when he shows up at that scene, he brings him a little birthday cake. Mm -hmm. He's like, I made it myself. And Harry, again, Harry had never had that before. Nobody had ever done something like that for Harry. The anger that you see when when Hagrid sees Dudley eating the cake. (laughs) And then again, the when a birthday present he buys him is owl. You see that reaction later in the series when when Hedwig's lost. Mm -hmm. Well, that's Again, that that's sort of one of those reminders of of back in the beginning when nobody knew Harry, nobody gave mm-hmm. Harry anything, a first actual gift, all yep. for him that he didn't have to share, that he didn't have to yep. worry about Dudley breaking it or anything like that. When we're prepping for this, one of the things I say is let's let's be practical and let's be personal. And so, like you said, when we look at a person like Hagrid. Frequently dismissed as a buffoon, frequently dismissed as, like you said, weird. He definitely has a skewed perspective on uh, animals and how to deal with them, probably because he's a big dude that isn't as threatened as, you know, mere mortals. Right. But Hagrid had complete faith in Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. Remember, don't you say anything about Albus Dumbledore in my presence. Mm -hmm. But that's part of what made him weird, is that un- Undying loyalty. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Harry. Mm-hmm. I was struck by your story about your truck and your car. <laughs> <laughs> because we've all felt this way. And, and I'm stealing Jamie's story a little bit. She she went on a trip. And she even before the trip felt like we're going to come back with a truck. Yeah. 
I did. Right? Yeah, it's weird, but I did. And then that actually happens. They come back with a truck. She feels completely at peace until two days goes by and she starts, what have we've done? This was stupid. This was frivolous. This was spontaneous. This is a flibberty gibbet Mm -hmm. move, which is interesting because again, I used that word and that was something her mom used to use. So probably struck an old wound there. Oh yeah. I've been Um, triggered. I've been triggered. (laughs) She's, that's why she keeps threatening to hang up on me. All right. But what actually makes sense, what actually makes Hagrid, in Jamie's perspective, the best character, is his undying loyalty and faith in both Dumbledore and Harry. Even though everybody says he's weird, he's misguided, he's off his rocker, there's a faith that we're called to have. And the reason I I brought up that what Jamie talked about is I feel the same way. I make a move, feel completely at peace in it. Two days goes by, somebody asks me a question and I fall apart (laughs) thinking I've, I've wasted this money. I've wasted my time. I'm going to end up in a, in a, under living under a bridge in a box. Yeah. It's inevitable. We're going to be homeless. The dogs are going to ruin everything. You know, (laughs) we go off the rails. Mm -hmm. And, Hagrid never really does. Hagrid's faith carries him. He never, he just, I don't know. If I haven't sold you on Hagrid, I don't know what more I can say. Well, and, and Hagrid is, is a very trusting person. He's going to believe the best in people. He is. And that's to his detriment at times. Um, but on the flip side, <laughs> Maybe it's because Hagrid is weird, but on the other flip side, he doesn't have a measuring stick for what a person is supposed to be in order to earn his loyalty outside of the fact that that person should be aligned with good, right? I mean, he will be very combative to somebody who is aligned with evil and very aggressive, very assertive, very protective of his people. Um, And I I just, I adore that about Hagrid because he's such a soft guy for such a big dude. And at the same time, he's capable of very, very aggressive things, but he only does that when it threatens good. He only does that when it threatens Harry or even Hermione or or, or Ron or hmm. um, Dumbledore. I mean, it's it's his people, it's his tribe. It's it's this is what he does. That is just so few and far between in this world. It's just so few and far between to find people like that. That when you do, when you find your Hagrid, keep your Hagrid. Make that a hashtag. Hashtag hmm. find your Hagrid right there, <laughs> and then keep him because he's worth it. Right. I mean, that's the type of people you want to surround yourself in life. The people that are going to point you to what you need to accomplish. And he knew that Harry had a different road. He doesn't try and teach Harry his way of things. He doesn't try and teach Harry to become a, a weird creature lover and ignore the mission that Harry's on. He's, he knows Harry's got a specific mission and he's got things he's, he's going to be, he's destined to accomplish. And Hagrid's goal is to lift Harry up and walk the journey beside him. Hagrid, 
is a Samwise Gamgee of Harry Potter. For sure. And he, it, when he brings Harry into stuff, it's just because he's excited and he wants his friend, mm -hmm. his young man, or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. him, to mm -hmm. be excited about it with him. Right. You know, it's that you see in Hagrid the childlike faith. Mm hmm In that, that I think Jesus talks about. You didn't realize we were going to be doing an entire episode on Hagrid, did you? We thought this was a Harry Potter. I did not. I did not. I would, have, I would have pulled more Hagrid clips. That's um, okay. That's right. <laughs> uh, so Hagrid discovers Harry. Harry is welcomed into this whole world and he's got to navigate it through. Like, as he tells Malfoy, I think I can decide for myself what the right kind of people are. And, you know, aligns with, with Ron, aligns with Hagrid, uh, aligns mm -hmm. with Hermione eventually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are, those are sort of his people. Everybody else is kind of superfluous. He discovers things. It's interesting. He, when Hermione's telling him about his parents, like he's like, it's so, so weird. Hermione knows more about me than I know. Right. Very, very reminiscent of when we did um, the Born Identity, mm -hmm. where people exactly. knew more about him than he knew about himself. Yeah. Yeah. Which again goes back to this idea of the supernatural aspect of things. Mm -hmm. the the larger story and embracing that uncertainty that that brings that hey i don't really know a lot right. so i'm going to learn and be curious and say oh i'm really good at this let me go do this he didn't know mm -hmm. like he wasn't great at a lot of the spells and stuff like that but right. he's good at riding a broom and even mm -hmm. at the end when hermione tells him to go on She's like, there's, she's like, I'm good at books. I'm good at this sort of thing. You're good right. at loyalty and courage. Right. At standing up for the right thing. And, and you see that throughout the story. Except over Christmas, <laughs> he discovers the mirror of Erised. And in it, he sees what he's never had. He sees mom and dad staring back at him, approving of him. And so he ends up spending days looking at it and then Dumbledore comes and talks to him and gives him some instruction about why that is so tempting. You know, when Ron goes and sees it, he sees himself being head boy, winning right. the Quidditch Cup, Quidditch captain, because he's lived a life in the shadow of his brothers. Right. So this is his time to be the the point, the, the mm -hmm. focus of attention. Which again, mm -hmm. he, if, when you look at his relationship with Harry, that's just sort of a natural thing. He's lived his life in the shadows of other people. Right. And so what Dumbledore says about the Mirror of Eris said, I think when we're entering the world of the supernatural, I think it's helpful for us to remember because it's very easy to, to I, I think, lose our heads in the clouds and the dreams and forget to actually live the life we've been given. The happiest man on earth would look into the mirror and see only himself exactly as he is. So then it shows us what we want, whatever we want. Yes, and no. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest and most desperate desires of our hearts. 
never known your family. You see them standing beside you. But remember this, Harry. This mirror gives us neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away in front of it, even gone mad. That is why tomorrow it will be moved to a new home. And I must ask you not to go looking for it again. It does not do to dwell on dreams, Harry, and forget to live. I mean, it's so it's so true when you think about it. I mean... And, and, you know, looking into the mirror, thinking about everything that you wish you had that you don't, whether it's grief or wishing you were somebody different, etc. And then missing the opportunity to live what life you've been given. And what you see is he he sits there looking at something that'll never happen. Right. His parents will never come back. Right. Even though, you know, Voldemort offers yeah. that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know how the enemy works in, in these things. It's full of lies. Mm-hmm. But the happiest man on earth would look at it and see simply his reflection. <laughs> and not to go back to Hagrid again, but if Hagrid looked at Let's in the back. mirror, mm-hmm. other than other than possibly a dragon, because <laughs> Hagrid <laughs> really wanted a dragon. He wanted a dragon egg. Yeah. But what you see is, I don't think Hagrid would have gotten lost in staring at it. Mm-mm. He... Because as he does in the movie, he actually gets a dragon egg. Yeah. And because he doesn't waste his time, his life, sort of wishing for dreams, he takes action. Right. No, it's so true. And he is content with who he is, right? Um, He's content with the person he is, the interests he has, the way he communicates. I mean, really, if anybody would want to be different, Hagrid would be one of those characters for as much mockery as he gets. Um, and there's a lot of lack of respect for him, from from the students to the professors to the people on the dark side. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't... He doesn't Wait, s- did we just go into Star Wars? I know, I did, I did. But no, I mean, you've got Hagrid who has all these reasons to not like himself because people are really, you know, in one sense, trying to convince him that he's not likable or he's weird. He's likable, but he's just weird. Um, He's not of the Dumbledore caliber by any means. And the fact that he's even a professor in Hogwarts is fantastical in and of itself. And so he should be looking in the mirror going, here's what I wish I was and see Dumbledore, right? But he he doesn't. He looks in the mirror and he, well, he, he actually doesn't look in the mirror. We're supposing that if he looked in the mirror, he would simply see Hagrid because of who he is. Well, and if you look back when we find out more of Hagrid's backstory, mm-hmm. he got expelled from Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Right. Which for most of us would be a horrible situation, would want nothing to do with Dumbledore or Hogwarts right. ever again. And yet we find him the exact opposite. The biggest supporter, the Mm -hmm. biggest fan, whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. Steadfast, faithful, loyal. Right. And the question that comes is how do we become like that? Mm 
How do we become a person who can look in the mirror and be content to say, I don't need that. I don't need my missing parents to show up. I don't need to win acclaim, win fame and fortune. As, as Dumbledore said, when it's very easy to lose our lives pursuing something that we think will make us, will fulfill the deepest desire of our hearts mm -hmm only to find it just as empty as staring in a mirror. Well, and I think a lot of it comes with accepting who you were created to be and dispelling the images and the expectations that either you've created or other people have created for you. And okay. only looking to see what expectations God has for you, at which point those expectations will align with who you are because God created you to be who you are so you can achieve what he wants you to achieve. And so it all makes sense if you yep. can look at it from that way. And that's the hard part, though, is we live in a culture where, you know, it asks us to be everything but what we are. Right. You need this to be su mm -hmm. uh, successful or this to be right. a winner or this to right. what be whatever. And the equation changes every day. So I just recently read a book and I was, I was debating whether or not to bring it up. And I just... I thought of what Hag where Hagrid would fit in on this. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. This is a more of a family holiday movie, but uh, the, the whole idea is where it's sort of about this idea of prioritization. The statement that he says is, where do you give your Fs? Mm -hmm. Where do you pour your life into? Because right. if you're prioritizing those things, you don't care about the other stuff because right. you realize it really doesn't matter. Right. Hagrid right. did not give, he gave zero Fs, <laughs> right? <laughs> about what the Malfoys of the world would say. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and even to a degree, he didn't really even care what Harry thought of him. Right. He just was himself. Right. Right. And he didn't sit and question and dwell and ruminate on it either. He just, he just did. And if he needed to be corrected, I mean, he was corrected. There were times in the movies he was corrected and in the books he was corrected for, you know, things and choices that he made. And sometimes I would say erroneously and unfairly corrected and other times corrected properly. Um, but he didn't dwell on it and going, oh, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Oh, I suck. I suck. He just processed it and took what was true and discarded what yeah. he didn't need to apply. And it, it was okay. And it was okay for him to be wrong. It wasn't a failure to be wrong. It wasn't a failure to make mistakes. It's not like, you know, we make a mistake and we're like, oh my gosh, we've failed. It's like, no, you made a mistake. You didn't fail. Then there's a difference. So again, hashtag find your Hagrid. Even in the second book in the movie where Hagrid goes back to Azkaban, he's like, I can't go back to Azkaban. He's not the one who right. opened the Chamber of Secrets. Right. But when he comes back, he doesn't moan the fact that he's innocent. Right. He just sort of receives the welcome that his people gave him, right? He knew right. he was back where he was supposed to be. Right. And that was enough. Yep. And the question of how do we get there is both a, a, a an easy answer and an impossible answer. <laughs> because on the one hand... 
we can't. <laughs> right. You can't try your way into something. Right. Um, a, a, some, a thought that's been sort of been popping up and I've been processing is this idea that willpower never led to transformation. You can't willpower right. yourself to a better mm -hmm. life. You can't willpower yourself into a better person. Right. And the, the sort of the core thought is the will was meant to be surrendered. Mm -hmm. And it's only in surrender that the will that you as a person are replenished, restored, refreshed, whatever reword you want to use. That's where you come alive is when you surrender mm -hmm. your will. Mm -hmm. And it's when you battle, when you fight, when you strive, you know, for the, the Dursleys of the world, even Harry mm -hmm. pre, uh, you know, transformational moment with Hagrid. Mm -hmm. It was about surviving. It was about scraping. It was about just getting by, making it through another day. On the one hand, becoming a man like Hagrid is impossible. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there is a way. Yeah. Dumbledore talks about it at the very end with Harry. And I'm going to play our last clip. Harry goes through the things. He meets Quirrell. But when Harry touches Quirrell, who's sort of uh, got Voldemort living in him, mm -hmm. something happens. Quirrell falls apart. And so Dumbledore tries to explain why simply touching Harry was so destructive for the Quirrell Voldemort weird little uh, Siamese twin thing. Does that mean, with the stone gone, that is, that Voldemort can never come back? Oh, I'm afraid. There are ways in which he can return. Harry, do you know why Professor Quirrell couldn't bear to have you touch him? It was because of your mother. She sacrificed herself for you. And that kind of act leaves a mark. No, no. This kind of mark cannot be seen. It lives in your very skin. What is it? Love, Harry. Love. I, I love that thing that it leaves a mark. Mm -hmm. when Because Harry's parents both sacrificed. They stood in the way of evil. Right. And as we're entering Christmas, mm -hmm. we have someone who came and put themselves in front of evil. Right. Who Whose love leaves a mark. Mm -hmm. That's un... You can't see it. Right. Not kind of tangibly, but you can see it supernaturally. And those are the things that um, I think we kind of discount a little bit the strength of, of love. And what it can do to the to the bad in our lives, and and how that love that God has shown through the Christmas story and through I mean really I mean that's the ultimate that's the ultimate story of good and evil right here when we're entering that into the season, and now everybody knows why Harry Potter's a Christmas movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know just just looking at that that fight for good and evil and and really what insurmountably comes from it is that self sacrificial unconditional love that Christ showed in in coming to accomplish what he what he accomplished for us and um i mean that's the ultimate story right there
right there. We're just a bunch of muggles. <laughs> just trying to make it through. Just trying to make it through. But no, that's actually, no, that's not true because we are bought with a price. Yeah. There is a sacrifice that's been mm -hmm. made. Mm -hmm. And we are part of a larger story, whether we admit it or not. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to your car, car story. Because if we believed, and I'm just picking on you because I feel the same way. It's just you have a more recent example. <laughs> if I knew and believed that God loved me and God was God, then I wouldn't worry about the cars. Because right. it's like a, a pastor said that when he felt anxious about stuff, he'd sort of do this what if drill. Okay, what if the worst thing happened? Mm -hmm. What if that happened? What if we were unemployed? What if they defaulted on our house? What if mm -hmm. we ended up in a box under the bridge? On the one hand, it's like, I really don't think God's going to let that happen. But the other is, if it does, he's still there. Right. right. And so it helps to relieve it. You know, when, when the kids call and say, I was in the hospital yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I worry about the forever, is this all going to happen recurring over and over? Because mm -hmm. does God love me? What if that does happen? God's going to be there. Right, right. But what I do is I take it, oh, I've, I've screwed up as a dad. I'm not, I need to call. I need to go do something. I need to intervene. Mm -hmm. And there is a time for that. But there's also a time we, as, as it said in the book that I referenced mm -hmm. earlier, we have to embrace uncertainty because life is uncertain. Yeah, yeah. Life is not an absence of mm -hmm. problems, and we have to work towards it to figure that out. But when we start with love and being part of that larger story, we can find contentment in letting go of those things that actually won't bring us contentment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's also that knowledge of that eternal hope that we have that, you know, we're, we're not promised um, that life is going to be easy, but we are promised in an eternity of perfection that God is bringing us into. And so I think sometimes we, we limit ourselves by hoping for things within the sphere of this world that we live in, um, without recognizing the bigger world beyond, um, and the bigger picture that God has. And sometimes we're like, you know, well, God could put a stop to this, or why doesn't God do this? Or why doesn't, because he sees a bigger picture than we do a much bigger picture than we do. Um, and I think sometimes we need to refocus on the fact that, yeah, God may allow us to go through trials and tribulations, but there's there's a reason he's going to allow it. Um, and so it's going to work out for our good as long as we put our faith and our hope in him. Yeah, that's what I read in Hebrews a few days ago, this idea that Christ was perfected through suffering. Mm -hmm. And if Christ had to be perfected through suffering— I'm not going to be let off the hook either. <laughs> this is true. But the whole purpose of it is for my restoration, for my becoming a whole person. Mm -hmm. So that at the end, the last scene, when when Harry and Hermione and Ron are getting on the train and Hermione says, it feels strange to be going home, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And Harry says, not really going home. Right. Like his whole mindset has shifted from living in the cupboard under the mm -hmm. stairs at the beginning mm -hmm. to the fact that this is not our right. home. Where we are is not right. our home. 
Right. We do have a future home, the supernatural home, mm -hmm. that if we sort of embrace it and accept it with that childlike faith that Hagrid shows us, right? then we can be walk in strength and peace. We can we can live in both worlds. Yeah. We can be at home in the muggle world and the supernatural world as well. Bam. And that's Harry Potter. Right there. <laughs> there you go. So, Jamie, thank you for this uh, meandering conversation through the world of the wizarding world of <laughs> Harry Potter, as they say at Universal Studios. Yes. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I was trying to think of something really cool and fun to sign off, and I got nothing. Here's my sign off. Here's my sign off. Hashtag find your Hagrid. And as with any conversation with Jamie, uh, I know it's not from this movie, but I will say that mischief has been managed. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. So this has been Paul McDonald and Jamie Joe Wright talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Hope you guys had an awesome Thanksgiving and uh, now are, are eager for the Christmas season that is upon us. And I hope you join us next time here on the Men at the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Who am I to be?